Uh, as those baskets are making their way around, I invite you to turn to John chapter 3. We are marching slowly but steadily through the gospel of John, which we're calling Believe is the name of this series. Now, most of you or some of you who know Susan and my, our backstory, we have lived here in Tallahassee for 21 years. We've been a part of this church family for 21 years. We came from our, our, our home state of Tennessee. Susan and I met at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and so clearly the orange blood um, runs deep in our veins, okay, no, no question about that. And so I don't know how to describe this, but let's just say that I have been actively resisting since I've been here getting infected with Seminole fever, okay? I've just actively resisted it. But I'm going to share something I shared at the family meeting the other night. Our oldest daughter, Grace, is is set to become a Seminole in the fall. And so we went through FSU orientation. And I have to admit that that was one of the more amazing experiences I've had as a human being and as a father. And I mean, it was just cool walking around the campus. And it's a beautiful campus and all sorts of improvements and buildings and walkways. And I mean, that's pretty cool. Then I walked into the bookstore I hear the marching chiefs playing, okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that little, that little shiver go up my liver, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just kind of, yeah, yeah, okay, I can get with that, I can get with that. But the real fun started when they stuck us into that giant orientation room um, over at the student union. And so they, the, the orientation leaders come in, and they're marching in, and they have everyone stand, and you have to flex your arm just like this, and you do the Florida State chair, F-L-O-R-I-D-A, and they spelled it right. It was unbelievable. And so I was getting into this, and I was like, what is going on? I kind <clears> of <throat> like this. Anyway, so we, we were getting into it and doing the whole thing, but the, but, but the coup de grace, the last day of the, of the orientation, what they do is they have the students march up while the, the fight song, the war chant is going on, and they have, have them sign the giant banner. And, and I was like, that is really cool. And the next thing I know, not only am I into the moment, but for some reason I have bought this shirt, okay? <laughs> Florida State Dad. Indeed. Now, I don't want to be overly religious about that experience, but it seems to me I kind of got converted, you know? And now my, 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 my love for the volunteers is not diminished, but I will say my love for the Seminoles has been elevated quite high, okay? Now, when I think about how did this happen, how did this go down, because it was unexpected, I was not looking for it. I didn't get up today and say, today's the day I'm going to cross over the divide, okay? Today, today's the day I'm going to see the light. No, no, no. Something from the outside was just sort of working in me in this sort of, I'll use this, I'll use this language, mysterious way. Now, now not, not to get sacrilegious, but to be honest with you, that's kind of the way John has been describing the process of salvation in John chapter 3, the text we're going to be in. Last week, Pastor Josh introduced us to this text about this midnight encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus apparently had all of these questions. He was seeking, he was searching. There was something kind of stirring in his soul. He didn't know where it was coming from. He didn't know what was happening. But Jesus reminds him, and this is what we saw last week, he says, Nicodemus, a man cannot enter 
the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Not only that, Nicodemus, a man cannot even see the kingdom. See, the, the, the man is, is hardened. He's impervious to spiritual realities. So much so that there has to be an intervening force from the outside to come and change his heart. And that something, Jesus tells us, is, is what John calls the wind or the spirit. And we learned last week that it's the spirit that makes us alive. It's the spirit that regenerates our hearts. It's the spirit that draws us irresistibly to Jesus Christ where we place our faith in him. That's how spiritual life happens. That's, even if you don't know it, that's how it happened for you. You didn't wake up one day and say, I'm at, I'm, at in, I'm at enmity with God. I don't like God. I like doing my thing. But today is the day I give it all over to him. Okay? That is not how that process worked. No, no, no. God sent his wind. God sent his spirit. It changed your heart. It, it made Christ beautiful to you. That's how spiritual life happens. But putting that sort of stake in the ground, John now moves us to another question, and it's simply this. Pastor Paul, how do I know if that's happened to me? I mean, I I hear about born again, and I hear about the wind and the spirit and changing hearts. Honestly, Pastor Paul, how do I know if the wind has been blowing in my soul? How can I tell? What's the markers? What does that even mean to be made alive to, to be born again. How do I, how do I know? And that's what we're going to concern ourselves with as we dive into to chapter 3. Pastor Josh hit the first eight verses. We're going to read those again along with the text 9 through 15. I'm going to invite you to stand. And again, it's a reminder. We may have a preconception about how salvation works, but it's God God in his word who speaks authoritatively. Let's begin in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's where we're going to be honing in on today. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him 
may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, this text reminds us that without the intervening work of your Holy Spirit as the decisive factor in our, in our hearts and lives, we won't see this. We won't understand it. We'll walk away unchanged. We'll walk away impervious. But Lord, we pray in your grace that you would pour your spirit out upon us, that we would see, that we would hear, that we would understand, that we would see spiritual realities. Take them into our hearts, Lord, to take them into our souls. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to know you. We want spiritual life. We want the eternal life that is promised here for those who've been born again. So, Father, pray that you would do this work of grace in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Two and two only points. They're pretty straightforward. They follow the flow of the text, and they're simply this. We're going to see how Nicodemus is laid low. And then in turn, we'll see how Jesus is raised up. Nicodemus laid low, Jesus raised up in a message we're calling the serpent and the savior. Let's look at Nicodemus laid low. Look at verse nine with me. Nicodemus hears all of these things, but you might as well have told him that pink pigs can fly, okay? Which only happens at a Pink Floyd concert, okay? But verse nine, he says, how can these things be? I mean, he is incredulous. In other words, How does this happen? Because remember, just like most of us or many of us and certainly religiously around the world, Nicodemus had been taught that religion was fundamentally about him. What could he achieve? What was his level of of obedience? What did it mean to be faithful? Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a prominent ruler on the Sanhedrin, a well-known teacher. He, He was all about faithfulness and observing the law and obeying the law for the sake of being accepted by God. That's religion. That's the dominant worldview, religious worldview of the world. It comes in many shapes, forms, and fashions. Um, you you, You can be an atheist, but yet be very religious and believe that it's my achievement and my wealth and my success that saves me. What have you, this is Nicodemus's perspective. In other words, he believes that life, eternal life, spiritual life, is all about him. Yet Jesus is telling him, no, no, Nicodemus, there has to be a change of heart. And because of that, it's not all about you. It's all about me. But see, Nicodemus doesn't understand this yet. Because I think it's pretty clear from this text, at this point in time at least, Nicodemus is not born again. Look at what Jesus says in verses 11 and 12. He says that, Nicodemus, you, you, you've rejected our testimony. In other words, Nicodemus, you've heard our teaching, you've heard my teaching, you've seen the signs, but you reject the testimony. I mean, you're interested in like the cool things that are happening, but, but, you're, but you don't accept the authority by which I come. He even says, Nicodemus, you don't believe And then Jesus asked this penetrating question in verse 10. Look there. He says, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? In the Greek, the teacher, that means that Nicodemus most certainly had a prominent teaching position with the people of of Israel at large. He was kind of the Tim Keller, John Piper of the day, okay? And, and, And Jesus is saying, you're like the man 
You've studied this stuff. You've grown up in it. You know it backwards and forwards, but yet you don't understand. It'd be like the, you know, the owner of Maple Street Biscuit showing up here and saying, you know, show us how to make a good biscuit, okay? It's like, what are you talking about, right? It wouldn't make any sense. In other words, Nicodemus, this idea that I am decisive, that God is decisive in changing hearts, this idea is not a peripheral theme to Scripture. And, and by the way, folks, it is not a peripheral theme. We're going to see over and over again that John comes back to this. Unless he who sent me draws you, a man cannot come to know me. The, I, I receive all that the Father gives me. None can, can, can yank them out of my hand. Nicodemus, this is all over the Old Testament. And, and certainly, I think John would have had texts like Ezekiel 37 in mind, which, which state this so clearly, a text that Nicodemus would have known backwards and forwards. And let, let me just read it for you. Here, Ezekiel is describing the process of salvation. And by the way, as we're reading this, try to locate yourself in it. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Because that's a question a lot of you are asking on this Father's Day. You know, uh, God... I've got a wondering son. I've got a wondering daughter. Can these bones live? Um, God, I've got, a, I've, got, I've got a father, a faithless father that I've been praying for for years. Can these bones live? You know, God, I've, I'm, I've got wondering family. I've got friends. I've got, God, can these bones live? And look back at verse 3. He says, and I answered, O Lord, you know. Now listen to this. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." You know, back in the 70s, we used to watch the $6 million man. Did anybody see that? You know, we will build him. We will construct him bigger, stronger, faster. And they see them doing all these crazy things to him. And this is kind of the image, except the $6 million man ain't barely living. He's dead. Okay? And they are, and God's saying, I'm reconstructing this. It's a picture of spiritual life. And it's the most basic of biblical truths that God saves, God makes alive, God is decisive. God is ultimate. And to hammer this point home, Jesus calls another witness, another authority to testify to this. And guess who he calls? He calls himself. Now look at verse 13, because this is, can be kind of a confusing verse. This is sort of to emphasize this point that this is something Nicodemus should know. He said, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, now what is Jesus saying there? He's making an extraordinary claim. He's saying, Nicodemus, the reason that I know this is not only is it in the Word of God that as a teacher you should know, 
But the reason I know this, Nicodemus, is that I wrote this. (laughs) See, I was in heaven, and I had intimate, full communion with the Father. And the Father sent me down to communicate these truths to you. I was there. I witnessed. I observed. Now I've descended. Now I've come to tell you. And one day, Nicodemus, I will ascend back up to heaven. See, Jesus is is making a profound claim. It's important for us to understand this. Jesus is not saying I'm merely a messenger or I'm just a prophet sent to preach good news like John the Baptist. No, 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 no. He's he's saying in a not-so-subtle way, Nicodemus, I am God. Unmediated knowledge in communion with God, that's what I provide. You don't go through the law. You don't go through religion. You don't go through tradition. You don't jump the hoops. It's not about a set of penances. It's not a set of Hail Marys. It's, not, it's none of that. If you know me, you know the Father. And folks, that is the question for this age. Is is Jesus merely a good man, a prophet, a teacher, someone pointing to a way to God? Or is he, as John will remind us later when we get there, I am the way and the truth and the life. And and let me say, this can land two ways for us. Okay, let me just say this. If you've wandered in here today on Father's Day, And you're wondering, what in the world is going on? Okay, I thought I was getting free lunch at Red Elephant, okay? But I've got this guy up here talking about being born again. Let me just say something. I think the simple matter to consider is that with Jesus, there is no middle ground. There's no middle ground. There is no safe distance. There's no respectful approach. You either... Trust in him as the only way to life, or you do not. There is no, there's no middle ground. And I think that part of John's purpose in writing, as he says here, is that you and I would believe. And so I don't want you to walk away this morning feeling like I can continue to remain in the neutral camp. That, that when it comes to spirituality, I'm, I'm Switzerland, okay, so to speak. Like, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying these things to point Nicodemus to a decisive decision. But believers, and if you're someone who says, I, you know, Pastor Paul, I, I am trusting in Christ. I do believe in Jesus. See, I think there's something in this for us as well. Because just as Nicodemus is being laid low and humbled, we as believers who are trusting in Jesus Christ need to be reminded that it's ultimately not all about us. Let's make this the Father's Day special. Parents, dads in particular, it's not all about you. You know, everything in our culture tells us that the way kids turn out is a, has a direct one-to-one correspondence to how well a job that you're doing. And you can see this in many ways. You see that parents, and it, it, it can happen if your children are, cheese, are choosing success. That's why you have fathers trying to train their two-year-olds to become the next Tiger Woods. Okay? 
This is why when your child fails, it feels like the walk of shame, like you've been demoted, okay, to the beginner's class in parenting. There's all sorts of of, of cultural pressures, particularly in the church, that tell us how our children wind up is ultimately all about us. And I'll, I'll be honest, guys, that, that's despairing. Because if it's all about me, then, sorry kids, they're in big trouble. Okay? Because I think about, you know, as a dad, I can be indifferent. As a dad, I can say no to my kids because I'm lazy or I value my comfort and convenience at that moment. As a dad, I can kind of situate myself into the middle of the house and think that everything, I'm kind of the North Star, that everything sort of evolves around me. But here is a great encouragement to us, dads. As a dad, we exert great influence. We will not deny that. We will not walk away from that. We, We will be confronted as dads and convicted and repent and run hard after the things of God. There's no question, as parents, we exert, and dads, great influence. But dads, listen to this. You and I do not have ultimate control. You are not decisive. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that would be terrible news. God is decisive. God has the souls of your children, your family, in his hands. And even when you have screwed up royally, which if you're a dad, you most certainly have. And if you don't think you have, ask your wife after church today, whether you have or not, and she will tell you. But God is decisive. See, that's what, that's what Nicodemus is being told by Jesus here. So we want to pivot here now, kind of head down the home stretch. Nicodemus, us, we are laid low. But now we want to ask, how is it that we know that the wind is blowing? How, how can we tell its effects? What has happened? If God's Spirit has truly made us alive, what should our hearts and minds then thus by consequence be pointed at? So second point, Jesus raised up. And look back in verses 14 and 15. And let me just give you the heads up. These are bizarre verses. Can, I just, can we just be honest? Okay, bizarre. <clears throat> That's why we're not going to cover them. We'll hit it next. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, verses 14 to 15. So, so Jesus has described the process. And then he says, the new birth or faith in me, now listen, is like this, Nicodemus. All right, here we go. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You talk about bizarre answers for $100, Alex. I mean, come on. Jesus compares himself to a what? A snake, okay? And, if so, and unless something's wrong with you, no one likes snakes, all right? I don't care. If you like snakes, I, I don't even know what to say to you right now, okay? Most of us have traumatic snake stories in our past in some way. My mom was bitten by, um, by a cotton mouth, Okay? Susan and I were traumatized one time by seeing a giant catfish get swallowed whole by a cotton mouth, okay? We're still traumatized by this, okay? 
Ask the Pipers about their traumatic snake story. When they're just chilling out on their swing on the front porch and resting their heads back on the headrest, only to find that the headrest was not a headrest. It was a giant snake, okay? So, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a true story, mainly. Okay, but this snake, that's a true story. It's a true story. Okay. Now, this snake reference actually comes, it's actually in the Bible and comes from Numbers 21. We're going to look at that so we kind of understand what in the world is Jesus talking about by comparing himself to a snake, okay? So Numbers 21, verse 4, Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness. As usual, they're grumbling, and God sends serpents as a form of punishment to them. From Mount Or, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. And by the way, what were they eating? Manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Here's this. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Again, Nicodemus being an, uh, an expert in all things Old Testament would undoubtedly know this story and just like us you can be rest assured that that Nicodemus I'm sorry Nicodemus had a very strong aversion to snakes now why do we say that guys the snake to an Israelite was a detestable creature hey number one it was unclean it was it was ceremonially defiled and you did not certainly go near one they were, that was like, if you touch the snake, you got to go outside the camp and be purified for a while, okay? But the main reason that Israelites didn't like snakes was why? Genesis 3. Because it was the snake, the serpent, that had led Adam and Eve astray and brought down curses and evil upon humanity. So, 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 this idea that this snake, that this was a form that, that was such a form of cursing, such a form of evil, such a form of, of a symbol of God turning his back on humanity, all of a sudden, this snake in this story becomes a source of blessing and a source of healing and a source of restoration as people would look at it. Now, that may sound, let's be honest, a little bit like hocus pocus, Right? So, you know, Indiana Jones, don't look at the, the Ark of the Covenant or your face will melt, okay? Um, you, know, no, that, you know, just look at, this, look at this thing and you'll be, you'll be saved. No, that's not the way it works, okay? Because it was just a symbol. You could have a hard heart and look at the snake and not live. Now, how do we know that? Well, we don't have time to get into it, but Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18, it tells us in 2 Kings that Hezekiah had that same serpent snake, which they had saved for hundreds of years and put in the temple, what did Hezekiah do with that snake? He destroyed it. And the reason he destroyed it is that the people of Israel were coming to it like it was a voodoo doll. 
If I only look at it, I'll be right with God. The same thing happened when the Israelites said, we'll just take the Ark of the Covenant, carry it before us, before the armies. If, 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 as long as we do that ceremonially, God will be good with us. No, 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 no. God wiped them out. See, this, this, we know this snake was just a symbol. And I think the identification that Jesus makes with this snake is not coincidental. It's, it's not just about the fact that as, as, the, as the snake was lifted up on a pole, that Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. You look at the snake, you're saved. You look at Jesus, you're saved. That's true. Now, that is true, and that's part of the analogy. But see, Jesus could have pointed to, I mean, could have pointed to many things, right? Just as the lamb was slaughtered, so I'll be slaughtered. Just as the sacrifice was made, I'll be made. But he picks a serpent, a serpent that is cursed in the place of the people of God. And then when we think about Galatians 3, where Paul reminds us what? That cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That, in fact, just as that snake was cursed by God in place of the people of Israel, so, in fact, Jesus was cursed by God on our behalf. And when we look to him, Jesus says, you'll be saved. It's not hyperbole. It's, it's, it's not bad manners. It's not bad language to say in essence, that on that tree, God damned his son. He poured his judgment out on his son that was destined for us. Just as the people of Israel were wallowing around in the sand and they were dying and poison was flowing through their veins, God says, look up here. Look to me. You see, Jesus' real point here, I think, is that Jesus became the cursed serpent for you. And he became the cursed serpent for me. And let me just say, even in many Christian circles, that idea is offensive. I was just reading a a, a tweet this morning from a well-known progressive pastor in the country, and 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 he literally says this, do you think God had to kill someone in order to forgive? That is primitive religion at its worst. Do you think God had some, to kill someone in order to forgive? And, and our answer is, yes. That is the gospel. From start to finish. What does Paul say? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for his all. Like the snake, the son of man, Jesus was lifted up. And when we turn, when we look when we trust, that is what the Bible calls faith. And when the wind is blowing in our souls, we know it because we come to the end of ourselves and we say, the only way I can be saved is him. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. Here's something I find interesting about this story in Numbers 21. We could ask, why didn't God tell Moses to tell the people just to walk over to the pole and touch it? Okay, 
Why didn't they just kind of write their sins down on a pine cone and pin it to the serpent pole, okay? What, what, what is, I mean, look at it. What, what is up with that? It's because they were dying. And they were powerless. And they were failing. And the serpents had bitten them and their face was, was, was buried deep within the sand, the sand. They couldn't get up. They were as good as gone. And that's why God said, just a look. Excuse me. I don't want to hurt that precious okay, treasure. Just a look. Just a glance. It's a picture of faith. And I find this incredibly encouraging this morning, dads, because it's not about the quality of my faith, which is weak and helpless and dying, but it's about the object of my faith, Jesus Christ. Just a glance. And, and remember, it, it, and look, even, even your looking this morning is a gift from God. Do you think the Israelites walked around after this and said, I am such a strong looker. Like, I, I'm a great looker. I mean, like, I've got such great eyes and eyelids. You know, I'm just like, I just penetrated that snake with my stare. Okay, that's so awesome. All the while, while poison is fl- coursing through their veins. No, no, no. It's the same with us. We're the dead people. Face buried in the sand, and God comes around with his little physician's light and opens our eye and shines, our, shines his light in it and says, look, look at me. That, Nicodemus, is the new birth. That's when you know the wind is blowing. I want to end with two questions and we'll be done. Question number one, was the wind blowing for Nicodemus? Now, granted, anything we say here is, is at best speculative, and Pastor Josh addressed this last time. But I don't think it's coincidental that Nicodemus is mentioned twice more in this gospel. Now, now remember that there is some evidence that whenever a gospel writer mentions a person by name in the gospel, like Zacchaeus, for example, or Mary or Martha, it's probably because, not the only reason, but it's probably because that person was known to the early church. So church history, for example, says Joseph of Arimathea, um, a, a minor player in the Gospels, mentioned by name, was a prominent person of the early church. So, so there could very well be, John is capitalizing on this, these people would have known exactly who Nicodemus was. That's speculative. But what is not speculative is what happens in John 19. See, it tells us that Jesus has been buried. He's dead. He's in a tomb. And who is it that shows up at Jesus' tomb with 75 pounds of spices, which would be literally a fortune in that day and time, and offers them up as a burial sacrifice to Jesus? Who was that guy? Nicodemus. See, at this point in time, Nicodemus had nothing to gain from this. There was no glory. There was no miracle worker to ride the coattails of. He most certainly was, was making a statement at great personal cost, spiritual cost, his reputation. Nicodemus had nothing to be gained at this point except what? His soul. See, 
Guys don't walk out into the middle of midnight asking spiritual questions unless something is beginning to churn. And you can see it right here. And some of you see it with people that you know. You're, you're like, they're, 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 they're not there yet, but oh, they're close to the kingdom. Oh, they're, they're, God's moving, God's working. God, send your spirit. So was the wind blowing for Nicodemus? We can't know for positive sure, but when we're in heaven, look at me. Me and Nicodemus will be chilling, okay? There we go. Second question, and, and this is more important, is the wind blowing for you? And you may say, how do I know, Pastor Paul, how do I know if the wind and the spirit is blowing my soul? Let me say something. We are here, think about this, 2,000 years later after this incident. And the fact that you were here at 4500 Shannon Lakes Drive on June 18th, 2017, hearing about the new birth, that is not an accident. You may think you were drugged here, but, and, and you were by the Spirit of God. You're here, you're hearing this story 2,000 years later because the wind is blowing. And so, We can't put all these mysteries together, but what we do know is we can do exactly what Jesus calls us to do in verse 13. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This morning, cast your gaze on him, the one who is lifted up for you and for me. Let's pray.